0: This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of redlegnation.com. Hello there, Reds fans. Welcome back to yet another edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. We're back once again from Red Leg Nation World Headquarters. Appreciate you joining us. I don't know, again, why you've downloaded us, but I appreciate the fact that you have. Let's let us ramble about the Cincinnati Reds for a little bit. Got lots of things we want to discuss today. It's been a fairly interesting week or two in the Reds, in Red Leg Nation, really, in Reds land. And uh, join me today to talk about all those things, fellow editor at redlegnation.com. Bill Lack, how you doing today, Bill?
1: I'm here to provide veteran
0: leadership today. <laughs> oh, that's what we counted on you for it at, at RedLeg Nation—that veteran leadership.
1: Yep, uh, it's worth $11 million a year.
0: <laughs> oh, well, you're vastly underpaid then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope you're not expecting me to cut that check anytime soon.
1: No, I think uh, I can. I think I can. I'll, I'll let it appreciate.
0: There you go. Um, well, that brings us right into what we wanted to talk about first. Obviously, we've passed the trade deadline here, the non waiver trade deadline, and the Reds made a couple of deals. And, of course, the one that's on everybody's mind is the fact that they traded Edwin Encarnacion, uh, third baseman, and then a couple of pitchers, uh, young pitchers, Josh Renicky and Zach Stewart, to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for that noted veteran leader, Scott Rowland. Uh, any Initial thoughts about this deal, Bill. <laughs> that you can that you can say without using a uh, keeping family friendly language. Let's say that
1: I, I you know, I, I'm the one that kind of worded most of the, the poll about this on the on the blog, and I'm the one that came up with that. I feel like the Reds management is kind of sunk to the level of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this deal, I don't think, can be justified in anybody's mind. I I, I just don't. You know, I've heard all the arguments. And I just don't buy any of them. Um, I've got, you know, three issues that I I see with this deal. Um, Or actually, four. But uh, you know, the issue is as much as you know. I know Encarnacion was a big favorite of yours, and I like him. He's, you know, he's a reasonably young major league average offensive player. He's not ungodly expensive. The, The issue isn't trading him. I don't have a problem with trading him. I have a problem with that they gave up him and probably their two best arms in the the minor leagues right now. I have an issue with them trading him for an injury-prone, expensive, 34-year-old third baseman. And the offshoot of that is, is to me, it shows like the Reds' front office has ADD. They they have an, an inability to stick to any kind of a plan for the future. I remember, and I haven't been able to dig up a quote, but it seemed to me like I remember Jockety saying right before the trade deadline that we're not going to trade our our best prospects or we're not going to unload prospects. And what do they do? You know, they trade their two best arms. And and he even said, he said, I think the quote was, and this is not the exact wording, it's real close, we gave in to what they wanted. You know, you don't give in and give your best two arms away for a 34-year-old third baseman. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: That's that's almost exactly what he said that we we finally gave in and decided to give up the pitching. Um you've hit on uh, pretty much the 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 points that I really had the the issues I had with the deal. Um a couple of things first you did mention and we've talked several times about Edwin uh, Encarnacion about how he's my favorite player but that I've never objected to trading uh, Encarnacion even though he's my he was my favorite red um you know if you could get something to improve the team no reason he should have been untouchable so Although I hate to see Encarnacion go, that's really way down on my list of issues with this trade. Um, you mentioned the poll, and I want to go ahead and just uh, give the, the updated results right now on that poll. We put a poll up on RedLegNation.com, and Bill did uh, come up with a wording of this. And at this point, uh, the, the question was, "What do you think about the Scott Rowland trade?" And we're you know a week, a little over a week after the trade. Right now, uh, with 40% of the vote, it's Rowland's not worth three players, especially two very talented young pitchers. And that's what you hit on. I think, uh, you know, Reneke, I didn't have a problem trading Renicky in the right deal. And frankly, I wouldn't have had a problem trading Zach Stewart in the right deal. The problem is I just don't see this as being the right deal for this franchise right now. Uh, Stewart has some filthy stuff. Uh, Stewart is very highly regarded. And, of course, you've seen all the quotes from around baseball, uh, anonymous quotes from general managers and other executives saying, you know, what were the Reds thinking, uh, you know, about this. And about Renicky too. Uh, he's evidently got a pretty – uh uh, people feel pretty highly about him around the league. He throws so hard, and I think he could have. guys that throw
1: 96, 97, 98. They don't grow on trees.
0: No, they don't. And, and uh, you know, he's done nothing but perform in the minor leagues. I, you know, I I I have a big issue with trading those two guys, not with trading Edwin. So I'm with you on that. Uh, second place right now in the poll, slightly ahead of uh, the, the third place one, is uh, with 23% of the vote. Reds management has sunk to uh, the level of Cincinnati Bengals management. Clueless. And, uh, you know, I'm actually a little surprised that's uh, that high on the uh, on the poll uh, results so far. I thought that I don't know. I thought people would try to be more optimistic. Number three with 21 percent is too soon to tell. But I think that goes back to what you say about uh, not having a plan. And, uh, you know, I had hopes when we heard those quotes from Jockety before the, the deadline. I had hopes that there was a plan in place. And you and I have mentioned if we mentioned it once, we mentioned it a 100 times, a- including here on the podcast. That we always thought that 2010 was the year this team could really compete, based on the young talent this organization had, if they built the right plan around those young guys and, and didn't screw things up. Well, I'm I'm skeptical at this point about whether or not this particular uh, management team is going to be able to whether they have a plan. Number one, and even if they have a plan, I don't, which I don't know what it could be, how they're going to execute that to be competitive in 2010. I just don't see it now.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know I was real I was real positive about the directions they were taking all season until this until this deal. I mean, I wasn't happy that they didn't go out and get a bat in the off season, but I could live with that. I, I, my feeling was that they were looking ahead another year and they, they were going to see what they what developed in their minor league organization. But this is almost like to me, it almost is like a panic move. Uh, we got to do something. We got to do something. The fans expect us to do something. Well, yeah, they probably do, but don't do you know something wrong just to do something um the the bad trade in my opinion or apparently our opinion and then compounding that with the loss of Volquez for next year Ugh. which which makes trading these two pitchers even worse assuming you know that Stewart was going to be a starter and I know that's what everybody's saying but I don't know too many guys that were relievers in in college ball that became starters in major league ball maybe there are more and I don't follow it all that closely so maybe there are a lot of them but I still saw his future, no matter what anybody else was saying, is a reliever in the big leagues. Uh, but the Reds are going to be looking for at least one starter next year. And there's a lot of people that are unhappy with Owings, even though I think for a number five, I think he's been fine. He drives you crazy at times, but he's a five, you know. But again, now you've, you've got a hole at shortstop, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Uh, you still got a hole in, in the outfield, you know. Gomes and Knicks are not the answer. They won't. I don't think either one of them will probably be back next year. I don't either. Uh, you've got a 34 year old third baseman that hasn't played over 120 games. I don't think in three or four years. Uh, so you know, so you're going to need to get some production out of that position on games that he doesn't play. I don't see how they compete next year with the deals that you know with the with the situation the way it is now and and. The issue now for next year is the payroll. Right. I, I did some quick number jotting, and, and between Arroyo, Harangue, Cordero, Roland, and now, you know, they're saying that Toronto's going to pay part of Roland's salary next year, but my guess is it isn't much, or the Reds would be telling us how much it is. Hernandez, Phillips, and Tavares, you've got almost $66 million tied up for next year.
0: Well, uh, Hernandez has a club option, I think, though, so they may not pick that up. But still, you, the point stands. Uh, they're not going to have.
1: Is it buyout a million dollars?
0: A million dollar buyout, yeah. Um, and it's a five hundred thousand dollar buyout on Alex Gonzalez, which I'll start taking up a collection for right now. Um, And we'll get into Shortstop in a a little bit. And we'll get into Volquez a little bit more in in, in just a moment. But yeah, you're right. With all those guys, uh, two problems that come to mind immediately. Number one, you're not going to have any flexibility with respect to payroll. And number two, if you try to deal uh, Arroyo or Harangue to free up some more roster flexibility, well, you know, that's another spot you're going to have to fill for next year to find another pitcher. So, um, they put themselves behind the eight ball, looks like to me, with respect to money.
1: Yeah, the, the Roland deal really hurts them in terms of, of, of money. Um, you know, we've talked about this on the blog. But, you know, the Harangue and Arroyo deals when they were made, there weren't too many of us that that were unhappy with the deals. There were a couple of people. You know, Chris, you know, one of our other editors, voiced some skepticism, but even he wasn't real adamant about. You know, this is a terrible deal. You know, he said, I you know, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I have a bigger problem with doing this for Arroyo than I do with Harangue or vice versa. I can't really remember. Right. But at the time, we all thought this was a pretty good idea. We're tying these guys up for the next few years at what seemed like a reasonable salary.
0: I thought it was a good idea. I'll admit it.
1: You know the Cordero deal. Most of us, I know, I was very unhappy when they signed this deal. Uh, you just can't afford to pay a closer twelve million dollars on a team with a seventy-some million dollar payroll.
0: I agree with that, but on the other end, he's been outstanding since day one. Oh, I-
1: there's no no argument of his production. Even even last year, when he was apparently pitched, you know, a little hurt with the ankle all year, he was still very very effective. I have no problem with how effective he is. I have Just a problem you know, with the with limited resources and how you're allocating them.
0: You're right. If you got limited resources, you can't spend them on a guy that's going to pitch 50 innings or something. Right. So
1: and you you talked about Hernandez, and you're right that is a club option for 8.5 million. But I looked up. The two young guys that we traded for traded him for, and uh, Justin Turner's playing Triple A ball, playing second base. He's got a, a 305, 359, 399, and a 758 OPS. Not bad
0: for a second baseman.
1: Yeah, I, I mean he would be looking at if they you know if they could follow through with with moving Phillips, he would have been he would have been shoehorned right in. He could have started for the Reds next year. Yeah. And the other guy, Brandon Waring. Now he's still playing high A ball. And I'm not real sure why, but he's only 23, but he made the All Star team again this year. He's made the All Star team at every level he's played, and his OPS right now is 8.56. He's got 19 home runs and 71 RBIs. Now I'm I not real sure why he hasn't been promoted. You know, I don't follow the, the you know the Orioles organization close enough to say, but those are two guys I'd sure like to have back.
0: Sure. I, and, you, and I'd rather have, uh, when you talk about third-base prospects and uh, the rest of my leagues, I'd, I'd give up uh, Juan Francisco easily for uh, Brandon Waring, if you ask me.
1: Well, and, that, and that's the other thing, and I know we're going to talk about Frazier, and maybe we can move into that now, that Frazier moving to second base, which goes into the Phillips thing moving. I really don't understand the Reds' thinking. Even if they move Phillips to second base, unless the long-term plan maybe is to move Frazier back to third, Because, I mean, even if Scott Rowland is here for this year and next year, you know, at some point soon you're going to need a third baseman. Juan Francisco ain't it. No. And I've said this a million times. He makes Edwin Encarnacion look like Brooks Robinson. Uh, He's got 34 errors at third base this year in just over 100 games. That's brutal. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, and I can't figure out why the Reds organization hasn't figured out something else to try with him and move Fraser back to third base.
0: We've been complaining all year about And I, I want to talk about one thing before we get into the Frazier stuff too much, but we've been complaining all year about Frazier playing left field or, or all over the diamond, really, instead of being at third base where, number one, he could have had a future with this organization, given you know that the Reds were obviously disenchanted with Encarnacion. Um, and the fact that they didn't have a third baseman, as far as I could tell, on that team in Carolina, because Francisco is not going to play third base in the major leagues if he ever makes the major leagues. So, yeah, I'm with you on that, and I don't understand what they've been doing with Frazier. But before we get into what they're doing now with Frazier,
1: well, but before we move on, I, I want to defend the, the Todd Frazier and left field thing a little bit.
0: No, I know where you're going with this, and I agree with what you're getting ready to say.
1: Absolutely. Going into this season, that seemed like the fastest place to get him, way to get him to the major leagues. I
0: you agree know,
1: with that. The Reds, the Reds had holes in the corner outfield. And as bad as Encarnacion has been this year defensively at third base, in the past he's been bad, but he hadn't been this bad. So maybe they thought he would get better with age, and maybe that's why they left him there. And they've got a log jam at first base, so that's you know in 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 Double A, you know with with uh, uh, Logan and and with Yonder, and and so the first base wasn't really an option. In fact, Logan ended up playing a little bit of the outfield when uh, Yonder was playing. Right. So. Uh, I understand why the Reds tried Frazier in left field, but what I don't understand is why once they see that how bad Francisco has been at third base and his inability to have any plate discipline, it's almost like they still see him as a prospect, and I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, he's dropping off my radar. Now, of course, you know, the Reds the. Nope. They know a whole lot more than I do about specifics of these guys. but Absolutely. Um, but, you know, yeah, I was just sort of befuddled about why it was taking so long to make a move uh, with respect to Frazier. Because he's a guy, I mentioned it when I saw him play in Carolina. You can just tell by the way this guy uh, approaches every at-bat, the way he acts on the field, he's going to be a major leaguer. Uh, he is going to be a good major leaguer. I, you know, I don't know how much of a star he'll be, but he will be a guy that will be productive in the major leagues. I really believe that. Um but we'll, we'll get back to Todd Frazier in minute. We got a lot we, I want to talk about with, about, about Frazier. But there's two things about this Scott Rowland deal that I wanted to mention before we pass it on. Uh, and the first thing is Scott Rowland himself. And a lot of us have been panning the trade and really two thumbs down on the trade. But, you know, I'll say this. I like Scott Rowland. You know, Scott Rowland's not a bad player. I like having him on the Reds. Actually, when the trade was made, I, I got really excited and then I looked at the calendar. I realized it wasn't 2002. Um, you know, 2002 Scott Rowland, I'd like to have. Uh, 2009 Scott Rollins, well, still a, a good player, great defensive player, Um and, you know, he's gonna hit, uh, you know, he and Eberron probably over the next couple years are gonna hit about the same, frankly, but, uh, so it's not the fact that I hate having him rolling on the team, I just hate what we gave up. Um
1: would you agree with that? I think he's on the down, da- I don't think anyone would argue that he's on the downward side of his career. Uh, I, I think he doesn't fit in with what this team is supposedly trying to do, and that's go young. And that's where this makes no sense to me. you know and you can talk about veteran leadership and that stuff all you want. <laughs> but if if we need veteran leadership um, from Scott Rowland and and I think I think Greg posted something today and I haven't read the article yet. You know, what about Brandon Phillips? He was supposed to be the face of the franchise, the new leader. What about Cordero? What about Weathers? What about Harang? What about Arroyo? You know, Arroyo played in the Red Sox on some pretty damn good teams. Where's the veteran leadership there? Why right. do it have to come from Scott Rowland?
0: Yeah, why, why? How come none of these other guys have stepped forward to provide exactly. any of that leadership? Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, I, you know, the whole veteran leadership thing is just absurd. On its face, as far as I'm concerned. Well,
1: somebody, um, uh, somebody in one of the and I, I apologize because I don't remember who it was. Somebody in one of the comments the other day when we were talking about the trade, to me, put it succinctly when he when he when he when he talked about veteran leadership, he said it's a non-identifiable thing that you put out there when you can't justify what you're trying to say with no
0: Yeah, yeah, I saw that comment, and I agree. Yeah. That's
1: yeah,
0: it's an argument you make when you don't have any facts. Um, yeah. You know, intangibles, uh, type defense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, Chris Garber, one of our other editors at Relic Nation, really, he did the sort of Relic Nation editorial, uh, review of the trade. And his, this one statement he made, I think sort of sums up my problems with it. Um, even if you like Scott Rowland, even if you like having him over at the hot corner for Cincinnati, and I don't mind seeing him in the lineup right now, obviously, but here, here's the quote, more than the talent involved, I just don't understand the rationale. Whether the third baseman is Edwin Encarnacion, Scott Rowland, or Mike Schmidt, the Reds are out of it for this year. So everything Jockety gave up is contingent on Rowland's 2010 contribution. Everything. Um, add up Edwin's 2011 contributions, the extra $6 million or whatever it's going to be that they're going to pay Rowland next year, plus the entire careers of Stewart and Renicky. And whatever that is, Rowland has to be that much better than Edwin in 2010 For it to be worthwhile. And, uh, you know, that's, and plus, and and he didn't add this point, plus the Reds absolutely have to be competitive next year for the trade to make sense. So there's, uh, as far as the rationale for this trade, I think somebody, well, I know what, I have a feeling I know what the the rationale was, and that's, uh, Big Bob Castellini wants a winning record at some point. Uh, and screw a plan or uh, being competitive, um, I think Big Bob had heard of this player he was a you know a st louis guy when bob was one of the minority owners in st louis and i think castellini was the driving force behind this to be honest
1: i think he may have been the tipping point i think i mean because from everything you read the trade was dead and then you know right at the end all of a sudden it heated up and and the and, and Jockett even says that they gave in and and gm's I wouldn't think, now I've never been in a meeting with a GM, or, I wouldn't think they traditionally give in. I think you give in because somebody behind you that, that writes your check says, I want this guy. Could be, yeah. yeah but and you, he here's a question. Do you think Walt Jockety's calendar in his office still says 2002?
0: <laughs> I think it might. I think it might. And he thinks that uh, he's building the Cardinals. I'm looking forward to them getting uh, you know, Ray Lankford or somebody next.
1: I'm waiting for Pulholz to come up out of the system.
0: Now, if that were to happen, I would uh, I'd kiss <laughs> Walt Jocketty on the mouth. Um even a little tongue maybe. Uh, maybe for for an Albert Pujols, <laughs> definitely. Um yeah, I just uh, I think that they with this one deal they have indicated that the whole thing we thought they were building for is just they don't have their eyes on building for a, a team that can be competitive in 2010 and beyond. I think it's all about let's see what we can do to try to get 82 wins one of these years. And, you know, I think it's a, a lot of it's marketing as well. I think a lot of players, peop- a lot of average fans have heard of Scott Rowland's name. You know, hey, he's an all-star. You know, we've seen him in the all-star game. Um, he's won gold gloves, uh, you know. Never mind that uh, he's, you know, going to be 35 and it's clearly on the downside of his career. Uh, one last thing, and, and this is something I thought up and I hadn't mentioned on the blog or anywhere, but I just wondered, you know, uh, we're all very disappointed about losing Zach Stewart. But let's be honest, a lot of you know fans who sort of casually follow the Reds have never heard of Zach Stewart, although they may have heard of Yonder Alonso, last year's first-round pick. Of course, uh, Stewart was a third-round pick in 08 last year. So you remember early in the day on trade deadline day, and I actually had that day off of work, so I was sort of following things pretty closely. The name Yonder Alonso was floated as definitely being a part of this deal for Scott Rowland. That's and, of course, right. all, all of us had a heart attack. And I, I started to wonder in the last little bit. I wonder if uh, somebody in the Res organization floated Alonzo's name out there, knowing that it was going to be Stewart and thinking that everyone would be relieved that it was just Zach Stewart and not Yonder Alonzo. What do you think about that? Am I just is that too much of a conspiracy theory?:
1: No, I, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. Uh, the other thing is, now that I, now the deal's been made, I'm not convinced that I wouldn't have been happier with Yonder Alonzo going to the Toronto. And us keeping the two pitchers,
0: especially now that Volquez is hurt, and, and with pitching being such a premium, not yeah. only in this organization I, I don't but everywhere.
1: I I mean, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought, but I'm not sure. You know, I think you know, you know, in, in for a penny, in for a pound. Here, I, I just, I'm not sure one would have been a whole lot worse than the other.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I just, I'm worried that you know, Scott Rollins already missed two games uh, since he's been with Cincinnati. He's, he's averaged 106 games the last four seasons. I'm worried uh, that no matter who we gave up for him, that in the end, he's going to end up, not because he does not played well, but because he doesn't play as well as before since he's uh, declining and because he's injured, I'm worried that the Reds are going to end up regretting this even more than if uh, Scott Rowland played well. Um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm really, really worried, really concerned about this, about yeah, this trade. I, I hope
1: the Reds are able to tell Red Leg Nation, I told you so, rather than vice versa.
0: Absolutely, you know, and 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 we always make the point that those guys they they have more information than we do. They're they're smarter than we are, but right now I just uh I'm baffled by this trade and and like I'm like you, I hope that at some point uh, I I'd, I'd be happy to have Walt Jockety on the podcast and let him just uh you know, uh, stick his tongue out and and say I told you so. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd yeah. love it. Um so, well before, we'll keep
1: Before it. we move off of, off of the Reds' seemingly inability to – the Reds' ADD problem was staying with a plan. I want to touch on real quick the, the, the Joe Padnansky article that I posted something about the other day. It's very it interesting. Kind of, article. Yeah, it, well, I thought it was too. And it kind of degenerated into a, a discussion of a salary cap, and and I don't think that's ever going to happen. And so I, I, I kind of jumped that – I stayed out of the discussion. I don't think the, the union will ever allow that to happen, and, and there's all kinds of problems with that. And I was hoping that the discussion would, would stay on what the Reds' plan should be to be competitive, and it kind of got away from that. But I thought the article was very interesting to say that the, that the, the Oakland model, what I'll call the, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, what's the name Money, of the book? Moneyball. Pardon? money ball. The money, yeah. The Moneyball model apparently, you know, it doesn't work anymore. The, you know, the other teams have gotten too. You know, they, they figured it out. You know, the book sure helped. Is there, you know, is there a way for the Reds or for other small market teams to be competitive, or, or or is the the Florida Marlins model, you know, build for a year, wait till team P players get expensive, trade them away, blow it up, and start over? Is that the only way now that small market teams can be competitive? Those are, to me, were the two theses of the article that I got and I, I right. thought it was real interesting and I, I don't know the answer. Uh, I think you can build with a farm system but I think you have to be patient and you have to be focused and the Reds aren't showing the ability to be either.
0: I agree. I think the Moneyball approach depending on what you mean by the money ball approach, it can still work. I get to mean specifically you know uh, on base percentage, which a lot of people think is the whole moneyball thesis. Um, although that was what the As had seen as undervalued at that time. but you know you talk about the small market teams haven't been able to win with that approach. Well the A's did number one. Uh, and but the reason why I, I think is less because of the, the the approach, the the theme of that book, as it was that the small market teams are being run by idiots in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox figured out, hey, this 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 works, and of course they got the money to implement it. But um, they're the ones that are leading the league in on base percentage now. Meanwhile, you look at the, the Royals. Every player they trade for or sign has an on base percentage that's just uh, you know in the basement. Uh, the Reds haven't implemented any kind of strategy, which again goes back to they do have to be much more disciplined and focused because when you got the money like the Yankees and Red Sox, you can make mistakes. And uh, use money to sort of cover those up, you know. You have a much much higher margin of error. I agree. So I I don't think that small market teams can't compete, as some people want to claim. Um, And I think that the money ball approach, which is finding what's undervalued out there. I think the Tampa Bay Rays are a good example of of seeing that maybe defense was a little undervalued, and that really contributed to their turnaround last year, Um, in addition to –
1: Drafting right. one, two, or three for what six or seven or eight years in a row sure doesn't hurt either.
0: Right, and that's what I was getting ready to say. In addition to having that focused approach and, and having those high draft picks, but making good picks, having good scouting and development, um, I think it, I think it's absolutely a necessity for the the Reds to have uh, to sink their money into scouting and development. Um, and, and they're doing that a little bit more, but I just don't see the focused organization wide uh, plan. Uh, to implement any kind of well to implement any kind of a plan I guess is why I sh- should put that so um, I thought it was a good article by uh, um as every article by him is
1: uh, uh just Yeah which, of all the things that were talked about in the comment section the one thing that I would most like to see that I believe is the most possible would be a a worldwide player draft
0: Yeah that absolutely I agree and that would even up the playing field a little bit because you know the reds have started to uh Sink some money into Latin America, and, and looks like they may be having some uh, some fruits of that uh, investment sometime in the near future um, with these kids, these sixteen year olds in uh, the Gulf Coast League. But um, yeah, I think that that's and that's got to happen at some point, don't you think?
1: It makes sense. You know, I think the rich teams will fight it. You know, because they can go down there and, and throw money around, and la- I mean, you know, two million dollars in the Dominican, I would assume you could pretty much live like a king the rest of your life. I don't know that for certain, but you know, so they can they can take a chance on a borderline guy. The Reds, when they're paying, you know, Yeoman Rodriguez, Yoman Rodriguez, two or two and a half, I forget which one it was. That's a huge investment for the Reds. It's you know, for the Yankees, they write those checks every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Reds, Well, no matter what happens going forward in the major leagues, whether it's a worldwide player draft or anything they try to implement to even up the playing field, the Reds and organizations like the Reds are going to have to be smarter anyway because they don't have that margin of error that you were talking about earlier. Yep. But about the Florida Marlins model, I, I, I want to say this. Um, you know, it's probably not the best in terms of – uh relationship with the fans maybe or the casual fan but i'll tell you this i'd take two world championships in the last decade like the marlins have or however long it's been two in the last 12 years whatever it's been Uh,
1: i'd take two winning seasons in the last decade
0: (laughs) gosh yeah i wasn't gonna go that far but yeah me too but it's a it's a different model i don't i think it's sort of more uh more of a gamble more of a crapshoot to do that uh they got lucky maybe both i think they might have been the wild card both times that they won the world series so you know i don't know if there's. I don't know if you can sort of plan for that as much as uh as let that, that be sort of a, a gamble you take and maybe get lucky on. I think that yeah. di- a disciplined approach to scouting development and to um really trying to find inefficiencies in the market is what the way reds the reds have to go. Um and I'm like you, I I don't see it. I I thought there may be some some hint of it until this Scott Rowland trade. Now I'm just completely questioning everything I thought was going on with this organization.
1: Yeah, I, I- I think the off season is going to tell us whether this was a blip in the radar, you know, this was a panic move or, or a Castellini move or whatever, you know, right. Brought this move about and the Reds get back on task in the off season or whether they go out and, and try to sign a 34 year old, a Jermaine die to play left field, you know, right. Uh, which you know to me would just be a humongous mistake I mean, if they, if they want to trade for a corner outfielder that's fine, but get a guy that's young that's going to be with them for a few years uh, i you know I don't know who the answer is i don't know i don't even I couldn't even tell you who's going to be out who's going to be available
0: uh, yeah. well you know is the type of guy that and not necessarily him I don't know if he fits with this organization the you know the playing field that we have but um He's the type of guy you go out and, and acquire when you're a piece or two away, when you got these young guys and you're a piece or two away trying to fill in some holes. Um, but that brings to, to uh, up a point that uh, one of our favorite commenters, uh, Sultan, uh, in the comments put it about this role. And he said, I'm not angry about acquiring Roland. I'm pissed about not acquiring a productive older player of that salary level in the offseason. If, if we were going to do that, why do we pass on uh, guys like Bobby Abreu and Jermaine Dye that, and then screw any chance of contention this year. Um, he put it because the offense was put together with Elmer's glue and, and, Dusty's toothpicks. Um, but now we can afford to take on salary while at the same time dealing away prospects. And he says there's no discernible logic when you look at the big picture over the last 12 months. So when you look at them being unwilling to spend money on an older player in the offseason combined with all of a sudden three months later changing their mind, spending big money on a, uh, on a veteran player while giving, after you're out. right, after you're out of the race and then giving up. Uh, top prospects, to boot. Boy, it's just there, there's no logic to it. And if there is logic, I'd love for uh, someone to explain it to me. I, I'm in the phone lines are open, Mr. Jockety.
1: So. We will always take always
0: you absolutely. So, um, oh mercy. Well, um, we said we wanted to talk about Frazier. I, I want to talk about that in a minute, but there's something else I want to talk about before that we've already touched on as well, and that's the uh, absolutely worst-case scenario that came down here recently with respect to Edinson Volquez. He had uh, Tommy John surgery to repair a torn ulnar collateral ligament, and then there was a torn flexor mass in his right elbow. Um, and so the procedure was done, and the Reds are saying that he's going to miss 12 months. Um, and I know that... Uh, Oh, what's his name? Will Carroll from Baseball Prospectus is questioned whether it'll be just 12 months. And I think the Reds, uh, have, uh, Mark Mann told, uh, trainer Mark Mann told, um, John Fay that don't count on seeing Volquez until opening day 2011, at least. So, um, oh, that, that's a blow to any hopes of contending next year. Um, and do you think that Jockey regrets the rolling trade now because of that?
1: You can't. Uh, I, why, when I mean they knew there was something wrong with him. Why would you trade your two best arms when you know there's something wrong with your best young arm on the big on the big club? And you know I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but uh, Doc Hollywood and his staff once again seem to have drawn seemed from a, a layman's perspective, I will say that I'm not a doctor and I don't play one <laughs> on television. But it seems like again it's a misdiagnosis. I mean, they jacked around with this kid for what, 3 months before they figured out that his whole arm was blown out. Yeah. I I don't understand that. I, you know, and I'm not saying that I, sh- you know, that, that it's that I should understand it. You know, maybe it's beyond the layman's perspective, but you know, I read somewhere where they said the MRI was inconclusive. Right. It like you know you would be able to find a way to, give, to 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 make that kind of diagnosis without waiting three months, and then you know, and then saying, "Oh well, we're going to have to do the surgery anyway."
0: Yeah, we're we're not doctors. We don't have access to any of the medical reports, so this is completely just an observation from an observation out here in the uh, the cheap seats. But there seems to be a pattern with this organization where Doc Krimchick, uh, Doc Hollywood we like to call him, um, has misdiagnosed or taken a, too long to diagnose, or there have just been lots of issues that we've seen out of di- diagnoses uh, from this medical staff that have been wrong or have caused the res problems down the road. Uh, why? And I, and I don't know, but I, I want to know the answer to whether or not this, could this surgery have been, been performed months ago, uh, you know, when Volkis first went on the DL? Uh, could they have gone in there and figured it out? Um, and because if he has to be out you know, at least 12 months, you know, at least that would maybe get him back into action sometime next year when the Reds are supposedly hoping to contend. Um, now Will Carroll, I mentioned him from baseball perspectives, he says that the part about the torn flexor mass is really, really scary. So that's the part that might uh, keep him all, all on the shelf for longer than uh, even the, the worst-case scenario on a Tommy John surgery. So that's really bad. Not that he can't come back from it, but uh, it's not the ordinary state of things in a Tommy John surgery. So um, I'm worried that we may never see uh, uh, you know, the same Edison Volquez again.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm concerned about that, too, and it would just be another in a long line of, of reds. Players that that pitchers, especially whose careers ended early, dating back to in my in my era, Wayne Simpson, Gary Nolan, and even to a a, a different extent, Jim Maloney. His wasn't an arm, but
0: you mentioned Gary Nolan. You guys out there listening, uh, one or two of you that are listening, you should go look at Gary Nolan's stats before he got injured.
1: They're they're incredible, aren't
0: they? I don't think people remember how spectacular he was at that at that young age.
1: Yeah, I don't really remember Gary when he was a uh, a fireballing uh, young guy. I remember him more in the early '70s when he, after he was coming back from his arm surgery, and what had become more of a crafty right. pitcher.
0: He was a dominant though uh, before he had to come back and relearn how to pitch. So, well, let's. Let's just, we'll hope for the best on Volquez. We'll, uh, hope that, uh, you know, the Red Staff did everything they were supposed to have done, that this absolutely could not have been avoided and couldn't have been, uh, found out sooner. And, because I don't know, but you, and I don't want to assign blame, um, where, you know, there's not necessarily any blame to be assigned, but, uh, <laughs> I will.
1: well, I, uh, the W, I blame the WBC and well, baseball.
0: Well, and that's a couple other items that, uh, I think that share some extent of the blame. I don't think we can assign how much, but there's no question. that World Baseball Classic, uh, Volquez felt the pressure, obviously, to pitch in it. And what came out this week that really just ate at me was found out that in his first start in winter ball, Volquez threw 99 pitches, even though the Reds specifically told him to throw 50, no more than 50. And uh, they wouldn't even have found out about that if they hadn't been playing against Cueto's team. And Cueto's pitching coach has a relationship with somebody with the Reds and said, hey, wait a minute, I counted his pitches. 99. Um, and, you know, I know those guys are, are being paid down there a good bit of money to play in that, and they also feel some societal pressure to play in that winter, winter ball. I know the culture's different, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think that that has to be high on the list of uh, uh when you talk about the number. Already the number of innings he threw for the Reds last year was more than he'd ever thrown. So you add that on top of it, yeah. it, just, uh, it boggles the mind that uh, they have this guy that's an all-star and can't prevent him from overworking himself. Uh, and now it's probably killed the Reds for a couple of years.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and le- leaves a humongous hole yeah. in this rotation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I've – well, very rarely have I seen a pitcher who, when he is on, has this that crazy stuff like Volquez has. He has the crazy hair, too, which I like, but uh, but his stuff is just movement and uh, just uh, electric uh, and, and I'm afraid that we may never see that Volquez again. It really concerns me. And I, I think the Reds ought to have you – know, I know there are lots of pressures and lots of things the Reds have to deal with when, with respect to that winter ball and the, the World Baseball Classic, but it's a, this is a guy that they they were counting on, and I think somebody dropped the ball. I don't know if they could have done anything differently,
1: but it looks it looks to me. Well, and let's not excuse Exactly, exactly. You know, let's, let's have some personal responsibility on Edwin Volquez too. Now, he's young and all that stuff, but – you know, you got to know where your where your bread's buttered. You know, I, I think back to when I was a kid. You know, I was a twelve year old, and, and this just reminds me of yeah. Wayne Simpson. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that that parallel doesn't hold up. But that's what it's reminding. Now me Now I, I pray point. that that you're wrong
0: about that as well. But you're right about Volquez. The Reds have a big investment, but you know, Volquez's uh, whole career and livelihood is is uh, counting on that right arm. So uh, he's got a yeah, He's a young guy, you know, I, but he he needs to listen to uh, to what he's told, I guess, about trying to protect that arm so that he can have a long uh, career. And I just, I'm just, i afraid that's not going to happen now. But we'll see. We'll, I'm going to try to be optimistic about that. But even at the most optimistic, I don't expect to see Volquez back in the rotation until 2011, and that's a long way away.
1: I think if you see him next year at all, you'll see him in some yeah. relief roles. You know, he'll come in maybe and throw some innings. Just, you know, just to, to get some, some throwing in, you know, to get some time in and, and it's to, to rehab the arm a little bit. All right. We've been putting it off
0: for long enough. Let's discuss this. A C- couple of items this week in the news uh, that were sort of related to each other. Number one is that the Reds have talked about removing uh, one of their top prospects. Well, they've actually done it. They're not just talking about it. Now moved their uh, Todd Frazier to second base in Carolina. Um, and number two. Somebody asked Brandon Phillips, hey, Brandon, they're moving this top prospect to to second base. Uh, Brandon, obviously obviously the incumbent second baseman in Cincinnati, uh, what do you think about it? And and his thoughts were, well, either I'm going to be traded or um, they're going to want me to move to shortstop. And, of course, he said he'd be willing to move to shortstop. And uh, Jockey said, well, we've not had any of those uh, internal discussions, but something's got to give. How does all this play out? What do you think?
1: Well, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they look to trade Phillips in the offseason, um, I don't think he's turned into the, I think the Reds thought he was going to be a star, and he's not a star, he's never going to be a star, and you wonder whether the Reds have had enough of his, you know, playing kind of hard when he wants to thing, so I wouldn't be surprised if they looked to trade him over the off season. Whether you'll get anybody taking for what the you know the Reds believe he's worth, who knows? The the move in Frazier to second base, no matter what the Reds internals are saying, you know, when they talk to the press, doesn't make any sense unless they're going to move Phillips. It's the only way that Frazier playing second base makes any sense at all.
0: Absolutely, because Frazier's a guy that they've got to count on being a major leaguer within a couple years, and if Brandon Phillips is still relatively young, if he's in their long-term plans, yeah, something's got to give. Personally, I wouldn't have a problem, and I've been sort of wanting to see it for the last couple of years. I thought last year, after the Reds were out, it would have been a good time to shift Brandon over to shortstop and and see how he did there. Uh, and you know, I'd say the same thing now since the Reds are playing without a shortstop most nights. Um, they run a guy named Alex Gonzalez out there, but he's not a major league caliber player anymore. Now, I think, uh, I wouldn't have a problem with Phillips at short. I think that he becomes more valuable. I think that his, uh, hitting stats are more impressive when you compare him to shortstops around the league than they are with second basemen. And I think that frankly, it patches a hole that the Reds have, whereas it's easier to go out and find a second baseman than it is to find a, a shortstop that can handle the job defensively. And right. Yeah. I, I just think that, uh, Phillips is a gold glove second baseman. I don't think anybody has any complaints about uh, what he gives you uh, defensively. His range is outstanding. And so I don't, you know, again, I don't, I'm just a, I'm just an idiot talking and writing on a blog and uh, I don't know what the Reds know, but from this uh, observer standpoint, looks like you ought to be able to handle that shortstop position. I can't see why not. Um, And, uh, you know, Frazier, I think would be an excellent Major League second baseman, if he continues to progress, um, and I think the Reds would have a very valuable commodity on their hand if he can handle second base defensively. And he was a shortstop, so you think he might be able to.
1: Yeah, uh, the questions I have about this whole thing right now is is if they're thinking about moving him uh, Phillips to shortstop, why not do it now? And the other thing is if Frazier at second base. He's six three two fifteen. My guess is, and I'm just guessing now, and I haven't done any research, I would bet that would make him in the top 10% of the biggest second baseman in Major League Baseball.
0: I believe it. Uh, Ryan? And
1: I, and, I, and I don't know enough about the position to say whether that's a, a positive or a negative, but it's, it, 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 it's an awful big guy. It said the
0: same baseman. things about Jeff Kent. You know, uh, not to say that Frazier's going to be Jeff Kent, but – True. And, and, and at a different position, they said the same things about um, Cal Ripken at shortstop, you know, uh, bigger than uh, than anyone else. So that's not. To, I agree with you. It's not to say that it's not going to necessarily work, but, uh, you know, we're picking out examples that are uh, sort of few and far between here. It, it doesn't happen often. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but, but I would not, I would, I'll be, I'll go on the record right now and say Todd Frazier makes this team out of spring training and,
0: and I, next year. I, I could, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I would not have the first problem if he made the team out of spring training as a starting second baseman. Um, assuming they've moved, uh, Phillips to short or traded him and somehow otherwise, uh, filled the shortstop position. Um, what do you think about, uh, some people yeah. have mentioned this possibility and this is all just complete speculation. There's nothing behind, no rumor or anything behind it, but, Moving Phillips to shortstop and then looking, because they think they can compete next year, supposedly, looking at signing a guy like uh, Orlando Hudson, who's with uh, Los Angeles this year. He'll be a free agent again. He just signed a one-year deal. Signing him on a one- or two-year deal uh, at second base. Um,
1: I'll be honest, I don't know enough about Great Andy defensive Road, second baseman, think.
0: and he'll hit enough to uh, justify his position in the lineup is what the way I look at, at Hudson. Um, I, I,
1: if, if Frazier can play defensively second base, you know, at, at a reasonable level, I'd rather have Frazier there.
0: I think that moving uh, Phillips to short and putting Frazier at second is an upgrade over what we currently have. I think probably offensively and arguably defensively over the Gonzalez at short, Phillips at second combo. Um, I think there's no question, obviously, that Frazier will hit better than um, Gonzalez in the majors. Awesome. And, um, you know, I think that he'll get on base enough to where he could really be an asset to the offensive rank. I think that Frazier could even be a number two type hitter next year um, in the major leagues. I think later on he'll eventually evolve into a, you know, four or five uh, in the lineup type hitter. But uh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about him making the team out of spring training next year, but I don't see any reason why he couldn't. I mean, he's, uh, he's just such an impressive guy.
1: There's going to be some holes to be filled on this team and, and and the Reds aren't going to have a whole lot of money to spend. So you have to believe some of these young guys in the minor leagues at the double and triple-A level are going to make this team out of spring training.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you a guy that I don't think, and we'll see if I'm wrong about this, but I'm going to predict right now, will not make this team out of spring training next year, even if we see him in September or something this year, and that's Drew Stubbs. Uh, I don't think he'll make the team out of spring training next year, even though he's a clear upgrade over Willie Tavares. I believe Willie Tavares is going to be your starting center fielder on opening day and leading off in 2010. Um, After you you vomit, you can come back and – Say what you have to say about that.
1: I don't agree with you. I think the Reds will find some way to package Tavares in part of another deal and get him out of here. I don't think I think they'll realize that they can't take another year of the PR disaster that Willie Tavares has been in center field. Now I'm not saying that it's going to be Drew Stubbs or Chris Heisey out there. But opening day center fielder next year will not be
0: really. good. Well, I obviously I, uh, don't. I don't agree because I think that if the Reds were that concerned about the PR disaster, etc., they would at the very least have uh, leaned on Dusty to bat the guy eighth in the lineup, rather than let him suck up outs at, uh, at the top of the lineup every single night. I just. Uh, I think that uh, they think he's better than what he's playing, and I just think he'll be back for at least another shot. He may only he may only be back for a month or two next year before they finally give up on him. But I do think he'll get another shot next year. I hope you're right. Um, and I don't know that Stubbs is going to be a an above average hitter next year in the major leagues. Uh, he'll get on base at a good enough clip to where he'll be an upgrade offensively over Tavares. But his defense, by all accounts, he'd immediately become one of the top uh, four or five defensive center fielders in the majors, and uh,
1: and, and you know, and I've talked to guys, and Doug Gray, I think, is another guy that believes this. That they say that Heisey is almost as good right. defensively as Stubbs, and I think and I think Heisey will be a better too. hitter than Stubbs will in the big leagues. I'm not saying he'll have a higher on base percentage, he'll have a higher slugging percentage. I don't know where the OPS thing will fall, but, uh, but just a, a snapshot from Sunday night when we went down to to watch Matt pitch down in Louisville. Heisey hits the ball hard. Stubbs isn't necessarily a guy that really, really rips it. I'm not saying that he's not effective. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I think Heisey will be a better offense. I don't know
0: that anybody would necessarily disagree with you about that. I think with Stubbs, it's that he's such an outstanding defensive center fielder and that he'll get on base at a good enough clip to where he's going to be, you can justify putting him in the lineup, uh, you know. Yep. Yep.
1: And he stole what 34 yeah. out of 42 it, or something. He's a smart years player,
0: years. evidently. He his knowledge of the strike zone's gotten better every year, um, and uh, he's getting on the base at a pretty good clip, uh, you know. But yeah, I agree. I don't think he'll ever hit like Heisey. I think what the Reds are going to come down to, and I, uh, you know, we talked about the uh, Steve Price at RedLegNation.com com had a pretty good article the other day. He's doing a series of these Red Leg trade reviews that are outstanding. If you haven't uh, checked those out, everyone out there needs to go look at those. But one was about the the Larkin Stillwell. Trey, when they had to decide to who to keep over Barry Larkin and Kurt Stilwell, um, and obviously they made the right choice, and I don't think either Stubbs or Heisey are going to be a Barry Larkin uh, you know, Hall of Fame type player, but it's it's going to be a case where I think Heisey's value in the major leagues is going to be maximized if he's playing in center field because his offense will be, uh, he'll be able to handle it defensively, and his offense will be above average for center fielders. I think if you've got to move him over to a corner outfield spot, um, his offense is not going to be that special. I think he can be a major leaguer at a corner spot, but I don't think he's going to be a special major. I think he could be special in center field.
1: Yeah. The the guys that I've talked to about Heisey and Stubbs defensively, they both say that that, uh, different people have told me, I've had people tell me that they think Heisey is better. Is that right? Defensively. Yeah. and, And, and like I said, Doug knows a lot more about this stuff than I do, but, uh, one – and I, now I'm, I can't remember which one. One of them, I think it's Drew, plays very deep and keeps everything in front of him. And I watched Drew play center field for a season in Dayton, and he makes difficult plays look routine. And Heise played left field when he was in Dayton. Man, what, what, what I've been told is Heise plays the ball, plays very, very shallow, so not much gets hit down in front of him, but he goes back on the ball very well. Yeah. So they just play, they play a different kind of center field, but I've had people tell me that they think Heise is, is good or better in center field than Stubbs. Now I have a hard time believing that. That that would put him as a pretty daggone good center
0: fielder. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because yeah, Stubbs is outstanding. What about this? Let's say Stubbs does make. Uh, let's say Stubbs makes the team next year as their starting center fielder. He's, he's a clear upgrade defensively, clear upgrade uh, offensively over Tavares. Even though Stubbs is not going to be a great offensive player, he'll get on base. Uh, a little bit, and of course, neither he or Tavares hit with any power much. Although, everybody keeps saying Stubbs' power is going to come around. It had not yet. Um, but what about you get him there. you get Jay Bruce back in right field. you got Frazier at second base and move Phillips over to short. you got Roland at third and, and Votto at first. Hannigan gets on base a pretty good clip at catcher. If the Reds have enough money to go out and find a left fielder, I don't know who's going to be out there. Um, uh, you know, they got no margin for error because there'll be no depth. There's nobody backing up these guys. Um, but
1: but you'll have like right. a on the bench.
0: But, but after that, you're, I mean, you're talking yeah. about you get another injury to a guy like, uh, uh, Bruce or something. And you're, it's just like this year. They have no depth in the organization ready to, uh, step up necessarily. But, you know, that could be, if things go well, could be, depending on who they get to fill left field, an okay lineup.
1: Let me throw you, let me throw Let's a name. It. Oh man. Jason Bay.
0: I'd love to have him. Uh, you know, I, I don't think
1: Somebody asked. Somebody put that to me the other day, and I said I've got two problems with that. Is one, I don't think Boston's going to let him get away, and and even if they did, I don't think the well rest that's going to be, be the two
0: issues. Um, you know, Bay and he's Bay's been exceptional for Boston. I don't know what Boston has if they've got somebody ready to take over if they've got somebody they're eyeing on the free agent market because they can afford to go after whoever they've got. Um, but I would like to have Bay uh, if he'd be willing to. You know, I don't know if he played for the Pirates for years. Um, and now he's had a taste of uh, of winning with Boston. I don't know if he wants to go back to playing for the Pirates again, which is frankly what the Reds are right now. Um, so yeah, convincing him fun. to come here is an issue as well. Um, which means you to exactly, have to overpay. Exactly, uh, you know, until the Reds start winning and, and have a different sort of atmosphere around his organization, it's going to be tough to get guys to come to Cincinnati. Um, so that would be the other issue. But I think that he would fit, fit in very well and immediately, again, if, if we can keep some guys relatively healthy and make the right moves, moving some of these guys, not not starting Willie Tavares, you know, and, and making the right moves otherwise, uh, there's a chance that they could uh, cobble together a decent lineup. Then, of course, it becomes pitching, and I don't know where we are with pitching for next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only time's going to tell, you know, what, whether, you know, is Homer going to, has he finally gotten over the hump? Is, is, you know, is Maloney going to be anything? You know, what about you know Matt Clinker? You know, who's who's now at Louisville? You know, the, the Ramirez kid. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys down at, down there. Whether they the, yeah. Blair. Lair. Uh, you know, the, uh, the pitching the pitching situation mm-hmm. right now is a mess. Between you know, is Owings is he you know is he worth keeping as a number five? Is, is Jared Burton? You know, is he the the next David Weathers? He's, is he the next setup guy here? I, you know, I don't. I had hoped he was the next closer here um, until this year,
0: uh, Burn. Yeah, yeah. It's been a very big, a very disappointing year. Uh, yeah. If you're a Jerry, which Burton I guy. am. Um, yeah, I think three months ago the pitching looked like the clear strength, and now uh, it's in limbo, as you say. Which, you know, again, why do we? When you look at who we got coming up, you mentioned those names in the minor leagues. There was only one name down there that I saw now that Bailey has sort of graduated the majors that I thought was sort of a high ceiling, you know, number two possible type starter, two or three even. And that was Zach Stewart. Are there any other high ceiling arms that are anywhere close to the majors? Maybe uh, Travis Wood. Uh,
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, and and, and I don't know that much about Travis, but it's hard to argue with mm -hmm. the numbers he's put up this year. I think the, I think the Reds were very slow on getting Oh, him I to do too. I think I think he should have moved up at the All Star break, and, and then you could have really seen what he was doing in the second half of the season. And I wouldn't be opposed to them giving him a September call up since they got a big old humongous hole in their rotation for next year. See if he can earn one, one can of do. the spots
0: next year. Absolutely, yeah, they got.
1: Yeah, you know, giving two or three starts, you know, giving a couple of starts, maybe three starts in September. See what he looks yeah,
0: like. It, it's not going to hurt. You know, the Reds are losing no matter who they're running out there. Uh, can't hurt to at least give him a shot and, right. and see if he can grab the brass ring, as they say. Yeah, there's just a lot of questions to be yeah. answered. You identify most of those. Uh, Homer and, and Micah Owings, you know, and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, and now with, uh, with Volquez out, I, I don't know how they're going to answer these questions, but that's going to be something to watch over the next, next six months or so.
1: And what's sad is that we're talking about the off season and next year, and it is August. August just the began,
0: 9th. and uh, and we're that's right. It's it's sad, but this is a traditional yearly thing for Reds fans. It seems like uh, nine straight losing seasons are all but assured at this point. Um, and it's about to,
1: I'll say the same thing that I say about being a Bengals fan. If you're a Reds fan these days, <laughs> you've got right.
0: Yeah, and if you're sticking with this team, you have earned your bona fides as a, uh, as a Reds fan. Um, nobody that's a listening to this podcast or that comes to Red Leg Nation every day, or especially those of us that waste our time writing about the Reds every day.
1: Or, or the guys that have been on my list, serve, Right, absolutely, the Reds
0: years. the Reds list serve, uh, Mellig <laughs> list. Yeah, none, none, you take all those names that we're talking about right there. The next time the Reds are good and uh, and winning ball games and whenever that happens uh, and going to the playoffs there better never anybody that questions whether any of us are bandwagon fans or anything like that because you talk about
1: the reds the reds should get us a flatbed truck to be
0: That's that's absolutely right because we stuck through them through thick and thin we may complain <laughs> but guess what not here 9 years into this losing streak we're still here so we do need we deserve some kind of credit that's for right. that um, right, well yeah. anything else you uh want to talk about before we sign off here
1: well, I did get a news flash while we've been talking here, and even though it's not going to help, this this won't be posted then, but Matt is pitching tonight. Okay, Matt Clinker,
0: one of our spotlight players at Red Leg Nation, and we've just been really tickled at his progress uh, this year, is going to be starting in Louisville, um, and so another start. So that's good news. Uh, he uh, had didn't have, his, didn't have his best start his first time out, so we'll look forward to cheering him on tonight. And uh, and at some point we're going to – it's probably going to be not till next spring, but at some point we're going to try to set up Red Leg Nation uh, get-togethers, outings, both at Great American Ballpark and at uh, down at Louisville, and we'd like to see at least uh, two of our, hopefully, uh, it'd be nice to see two of our spotlight guys in Louisville next year. We'll see how that works out. There's a lot of different variables, obviously there, um, but uh, it'd be good to set up a, a an adding at both places. So everybody, keep your keep your eyes on that, and uh, we'll try to pick some good dates. But we'll cheer on Matt tonight. Uh, what are you expecting out of him tonight?
1: I just I hope he gets these uh, like I said, we talked earlier before we went on. Uh, I went down Sunday night and watched him pitch. I uh, got a chance to spend a few minutes talking to Matt's parents, who were very, very nice people. And uh, he just never looked comfortable on the mound to me. He, he, he didn't look to me like and – and I'm not a pitching coach, God knows. Uh, looked to me like he couldn't locate his breaking ball. Uh, he was uncharacteristically wild. I think he walked four guys in three and two-thirds. Um might have been nerves. I don't know. You know, who am I to say? But second start, you expect him to be a little calmer, a little more, you know, a little more relaxed. He's not pitching in front of his family and friends. They're on the road. That may help. I don't know. Uh, but Absolutely. We'll definitely be rooting for
0: him. Um, all right. One one more thing, I want to get your thoughts about. I don't think uh, we've discussed this yet, and I thought we ought to at least mention it. it looks like uh, the Dayton Daily News has decided they're not going to be covering the Reds in the same way after this season and uh, not going to have a beat writer following the team every day, which means that Hal McCoy is sort of being forced to retire at the Dayton Day News. You know, He's been around uh, for years, forever, uh, longer than any of us, uh, uh, just about.
1: I think I think Hal started there when they were still chiseling the news in. Like on <laughs> That's the right, yeah. Stones, he was know? the
0: first first beat writer <laughs> in the area, absolutely. Uh, well, he's been there, there the longest.
1: I think he covered the I think he covered the 18-year-old. yeah
0: he had a, he had a wonderful uh, series of articles that are about those uh, he and Harry Wright used to go out for a beer after the games it was a classic um, but uh, now that we're finished making fun of how old he is um, what do you think about the fact that the Hal McCoy number one is no, no longer going to be around and number two that you know just a couple years ago there were three newspapers covering the Reds on a day to day basis and that has dwindled to one um, do you have any thoughts about that, and uh, if so, what are they?
1: Well, I've never been a real big Hal McCoy fan, um, but I may not have been reading the Dayton Daily News when he yeah. was in his heyday. It was before the days of the Internet, so, I mean, the, 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 I lived in Cincinnati. The paper wasn't as accessible. Uh, so that, being, that that that's one part of the issue. Um I think anytime we as fans or and this isn't just about sports, this is anytime we get less information, it's not good. And, and if you have less beat writers, even though they duplicate each other, John Fay and Hal McCoy a lot of times are writing the same type of articles on the same player on the same days. But you're getting a little bit of a different perspective and I think anytime you lose a source of information, it's it's not a good thing. But it says more. I think this says more about the state of newspapers in this country than it does about baseball or yeah, anything else.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, and my post at Red Lake Nation was entitled "The State of Daily Baseball Coverage," which, and I titled it that because it's changing. And this is another data point in that. Yeah, I'm with you in terms of Hal McCoy. Uh, I, you know, everybody wants to be kind, but I don't think he's been at the top of his game uh, for the for a number of years. Um, but there are, at at one time, certainly during his heyday, there are a lot of people in and around the Dayton area that will tell you he was their link uh, to the Reds, and uh, a lot of people just, uh, I don't think it's uh, an overstatement to say that Hal McCoy is beloved by a certain group of Reds fans. Um, he certainly put in his time. I, you know, I don't think it's a good thing either. Uh, you know, I think that the, things are changing, though. You know, you've got sites like Red Leg Nation and some of the other Reds blogs that are, giving some of that opinion and analysis of what's going on in Resland that you didn't have before people are less dependent on the Hal mccoys and the the john phase and uh, obviously mark sheldon's still around with mlb.com and of course uh, trent rosecrans was uh with the post until they gave up the ghost
1: but and then he right. moved to uh right clear channel and then they cut they exactly cut and
0: uh, you know Things are different, but I don't think it's a good thing for Reds fans. I think the more voices you have out there, the better. I think that even if they are duplicative sometimes, I think that, um, you know, what they did provide was valuable, uh, each of them in their own right. And I just – I hate to see it happening, but that's that's the way the world is right now. The newspaper industry, frankly, is collapsing under their own weight. Um, and I don't know what the, the model is going to be going forward. Um you know, we're not making any money at Redleg Nation. We're doing it because we love this team. So this isn't uh, the financial model of the future, but uh, but blogs and and this sort of type of analysis is part of the mix. Um, I'm just, uh, I hate to, I just hate to see these guys kick to the curb because I think they do still provide something valuable to us. Uh, so we wish Hal the best of luck, obviously.
1: Oh yeah, that's a, huh? and Then
0: five dollar words. Uh,
1: I think, that's that's, right. a, that's a lawyer word. Uh. <laughs> the the big th- the big thing is whether it was intended or not these beat writers are the fans access right. to the players in the front office the loss of that gives not only the fans and, and, and the general fans but even us because the the front offices of especially the major league teams 99% of them don't see even blogs that try to be responsible, as I think we do, don't see us right. as an alternative. Maybe they will at some point or not. You know, Some of the minor league teams have been very kind to us. We're very lucky that we've got a good relationship with some of the minor league squads. Um, but I think it's going to be a loss of, of information and access for the fans into the thinkings and workings of the team and the front office and and to me that in, in terms of sports or baseball in more specific Yeah there there's sort of the, two
0: different that's... sides to baseball coverage one is reporting and one's you know analysis uh, opinion and i think blogs in a lot of ways from the fan's perspective blogs like red leg nation and and some of the other great uh, reds blogs that are out there do do a good job i think being the voice of the fans but these reporters, these beat writers they are in the clubhouse, they're more the eyes and, and the ears of the fans. Um, they get to go places that, you know, we don't get to go, and, and uh, you know, they can report back to us on things like that. I don't think their strength was the analysis. I, frankly, I think that the uh, places like Red Leg Nation do a much better job, not to toot our own horn, but it, and all the Reds blogs, with analysis and, and, and opinion on the Reds, but... We can't do that as well without having those reporters in place doing their job, which is different from what uh, I, I don't think it's a direct competition. I think it's more of a symbiotic relationship where we need each other and uh, to get get the full coverage of the Reds that everybody wants. And yeah, it's it's going to be it's not not going to be as good for Reds fans because we're not going to have those eyes and ears in the clubhouse and, and reporting back things that uh, you and I don't see on a daily basis. I agree with you. It's it's not a good thing. Uh, I, I do. I want to mention yeah. this. Uh, I. Linked to a guy named John Weissman, he's a a Dodger blogger uh, in my post on this, and I thought it was a you know pretty good way to uh, to frame the debate. He he talked about it back when uh, Tony Jackson was laid off uh, as an LA Dodger beat writer, and of course he used to be here in Cincinnati as well. And he said that uh, Weissman said, "I don't think there's any doubt that individual readers have more information about the Dodgers," he says, "also the Reds than they did ten years ago. Uh, Then you had access to only game stories and notebooks published once a day." Uh, Today, there's a constant stream of rich information and, I think what's uh, more important, analysis now. Um, I think we're well past the point of relying only on the reporter in the clubhouse. Nevertheless, you still need that reporter. And, and of course, he says the best-case scenario would be for readers or benefactors to stake a credible person to writing and blogging about the Dodgers full-time, covering them inside and out. Um, And if that were important enough to enough people or the right people, it would happen. But I sense, he says, that given the choice between accepting the new status quo for free or paying a small amount for more, the marketplace will tend to choose free, which means that we're going to be with fewer, have to deal with fewer reporters and, uh, you know, do the best we can on our side with the analysis. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Final thoughts before we close up shop on uh, this latest edition of the podcast.
1: Um. At this point, I don't see a whole lot of reason to watch another Reds game the rest of the year. Um, I, I there isn't even anything I want to watch at this point. Maybe when Jay gets back from and there's there was something in the Enquirer this morning. He's getting close. He got his cast off. Uh, he's lifting and and doing range of motion that kind of thing. And he says he is Good. not going to shut it down. He's gonna. He says he's going to play for the end of the season. Whether that's smart or not, I don't know. But, other than Jay Bruce, there really isn't a whole lot to me worth watching the rest of the season on this on the major league level. Uh, yeah, on the minor league level. What about May, the veteran leadership? You, you don't look college. for that.
0: That's not something you're excited to watch over the next couple of months. Come on.
1: He's well. He's been here what now? A week, and he's missed two games already. Right. Now, I'm not saying he was sh- shirking or anything like that. The man got hit in <laughs> the head by I a I did. Fastball. I did cry like a girl when I watched I him like get hit. So that, uh, but, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's just a you know an the yeah. ongoing. Yeah, well, that'll be something to watch. It's mean, not gonna be to much fun out. to watch,
0: but yeah, they're, the things to watch now that are. Uh, interesting to see how they play out are are a lot fewer than they were you know we were talking before the season all the things we were excited to see about this year uh you know volquez and jay bruce were two of the top ones uh and of course they're not playing right now so i'll keep watching as much as i can but it is it's not going to be easy and there's not going to be a whole lot to watch for i agree so Oh, i do i do you must have a stomach Um, well a couple things I do want to mention before we uh, sign off. Uh, we named our players of the month uh, for July, and I want to go ahead and highlight those just briefly here at the end. Uh, Joey Votto won the Redleg Nation Player of the Month for July two thousand nine. Again, uh, second time this year he's won it, um, and we consider he didn't even play for a full month. That's uh, two out of three months that he has played uh, that he won it. Uh, not a surprise. Hit three twenty four, uh, three fifty two on base percentage, five ninety eight slugging, seven homers, thirteen RBIs. Great month. Uh, He is. He As keeps plugging says, away. Joey Even Morrow when he's hitting a little bit of a rough a streak here, he's still producing, and <laughs> and uh, he's still the cog. He's the st- straw that stirs the drink right now. So in Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, Lance McAllister had a thing on his blog last week about Joey, and I think Lance. I don't know whether Lance is just looking for something to to complain about or whatever, but apparently Joey's. His strikeout numbers have been up a little bit lately, and yada yada yada. But uh, to me, yeah, he's he's just about the one piece of this uh, puzzle here
0: in Cincinnati. That not not much to complain about. He comes to work uh, uh, just about every day and and does his job. So, um, also receiving votes in the Player of the Month for July two thousand nine, Coco Cordero. Good month, one point zero eight ERA, five saves because they only won about five games the whole month. Um, And sadly. Edwin Encarnacion, who uh, had an OPS over 900 uh, during the month of July, since he coming back from his with four homers, ten RBI, since coming back from the disabled list, um, and he's moved on to Toronto. Minor league players of the month, minor league pitcher of the month for July 2009. And I never know how to pronounce this guy's name. I'm sure I mispronounce it every time. Ben Jukic, Jukic. I don't. Do you know how to pronounce that? Jukic. I don't know, but he went 3-0 uh, and during Jukins, July. 1.62 right ERA, won the uh, Player of the Month award for Red Leg Nation, uh, for minor league pitchers at Red Leg Nation. Um, allowed fewer than one base runner in an inning, struck out 11, walked, uh, or struck out 30, walked 11, really outstanding month. And then the hitter of the month, minor league hitter of the month, Kevin Barker, uh, first baseman down in Louisville who had an OPS over 1,000, hit 368 with five home runs and 22 RBIs, nine doubles walk 12 times. Um, this guy, he's about 60 years old, but he's had a really outstanding season, uh, OPS, over 900, 21 homers. And this is a guy, and I, I'll admit that I'm prejudiced because he went to high school fairly close to where I did, and he was just a little bit behind me in school, which means I'm 60 years old too. But uh, I <laughs> yeah, we're not going to. We're not going to say, but uh, God, he's a guy that is not a prospect. <laughs> he 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 spent some time in the bigs with uh, Milwaukee there a while back, and he's had a, a taste. But I'd like to see before his career is over. He's earned a, a chance to – frankly, I thought he should have come up when Votto was out earlier this year uh, to at least be the backup first baseman. But uh, I, I wish they'd call him up in September and just give him another chance to experience the big league life. He's really hit the ball well. Uh, I think he's all, Louisville's all-time leading home run hitter uh, at this point uh, in AAA. So he's sort of one of those quadruple-A guys, but – he won our player of the month.
1: I think you deserve. I mean, I think they should reward the guy for a great season with at least a September call-up. But the problem with that That's is. That's true. That's true. If you I guess do you got Take the best that into account, certainly,
0: because. Uh, well.
1: But I will tell you this: I was going <laughs> okay. into my senior year of high school when Kevin Barker was. I'm born. sorry. I'll
0: never call him old again. He's old for baseball. like
1: this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's just a, he's been around a while been knocking around. I, well, I know, but when we're talking about minor league prospects, he's he wouldn't.
1: Thirty three. Yeah, I know.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, so pros- he's not a guy that we're expecting to be part of the next good Reds team. Um, but he's a guy that I would like to see rewarded for that outstanding season. You're right with respect to Louisville in the playoffs, but I think if you ask Kevin Barker which he'd prefer to do, I think he'd
1: take the September call up. So I'd like to see him. Oh, I would think so. Look, I'm looking at his numbers, and he, he's played almost 100 games in the big leagues. Yeah, he I mean, he's a guy that I think he OPS, got the tag like of being one of those,
0: you know, 4A guys. And um, and I don't know if he ever would have hit well enough to be a starting first baseman yeah. in the majors, which is the deal. But uh, he's a guy that wouldn't kill well, you to bring I, him up and sit I'm him on your bench, even though he can he only either, play really uh, one position. Um, but that's better than a guy like, you know, Alex Gonzalez, who can't play any any positions, so. Uh, that's right. Yeah, he's equally bad at about seven different positions. Walton Castillo, so. uh, and not to make fun of a guy while he's out for the year injured, but uh, we've been we've been saying that since they got him. But no, that's not a new one. All right. Well, I yeah. guess that's about <laughs> all for new uh, the podcast today. You know, a lot to discuss, and we'll surely have a lot to discuss next time around because there's always something crazy going on. At Red Leg Nation. Now, um, appreciate all you all joining us out there today. As always, mention this every week. Any comments, concerns, suggestions, send those to radio at redlegnation.com. Uh, subscribe via iTunes to the podcast. Uh, and then, uh, and you can download all previous episodes of the podcast there as well. You can also go to the tab up the top of uh, Red Leg Nation that says RN Radio. And there you got links to be able to download all the previous, um, editions of red leg nation radio we're getting up there now we're bearing down on 40 uh podcasts so um it's been a lot of fun and, and i really appreciate you being with us again this week bill yeah we're going to change your name on the block to leader veteran leader bill lack. Uh, well, th- thanks again to all you loyal citizens of red leg nation out there for listening for bill lack this is chad Dotson saying so long